Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. Hi, Brittany. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we have so many things to discuss today. I don't know the last time we spoke. It was probably back in April. It's been a while and quite a bit has changed (laughs) since the last time I talked to you. Yes. And you're always like the voice of reason in the whole influencer space for me. So before we kind of go down that road, I want to just kind of delve in and let everyone know about your background, your days at Hearst Magazine. Like, let's go back there. Do you remember how you first got involved with influencers? Yeah, I actually, by the time I got to Hearst, I was already like super expert, as, as expert as you can be at, at that point. Because I used to be a blogger a long time ago in 2007 to like 2010. And I had a nightlife blog. Yeah, and I got I got nominated for like a paper magazine award. And I was doing I was the first I was the North American ambassador for Nivea. Like I used to before we were influencers, and we were just blogging. I liked a lot of blogs. I was like, a, I was an influencer for Svedka and pop, I was the first like influencer for pop chips when pop chips first like very, very first came out. And like, you couldn't even buy them in the store yet. They just were sponsoring events. And so I did a, a lot of blogging stuff. Then I went and did social media for Lusa Roberts, which was a women's gym in like the Tri-State area, which got sold to New York Sports Club. And then while I was there looking for my next move, a friend I knew from blogging, she used to be the publicist for, I think, Belvedere or Grey Goose, one of the vodkas. She said, I'm going to this agency. You know, I speak brand, but I need someone who speaks like blogger. Can you come start this department with me? So I went to Horizon Media and helped run their first influencer team. And we did a lot of work with Food Network, Travel Channel, Lifetime, lots of TV. And then like Taylor Valentine. Yes, I do very well. So, so I had a blog and I couldn't monetize because it was like you. It was 2007 and I kept like people did. I wanted to meet with people and he's like, go find a hundred bloggers and come call me back. He was the person who put me in this space as an agency. If not, I would have just still, I would have been blogging. And- oh, cool. Yeah, he's, he's great. So he was yeah, the chief invention officer while I was at Mm-hmm. Horizon, which was cool, and you know, did a lot of family stuff, Little Caesars, Culturel, and like lots of spirits and and car dealerships and fast food chains, and and I did that, and it was cool, but it was very much like soup to nuts, everything from like pitching the brand all the way to analytics, and I really liked the casting part before I you know got into influencer marketing. I worked at a cast, I worked at a talent agency. Abrams Artists, which is now A3 and reps a bunch of influencers. I worked there in the on-camera commercial department and I really liked working with talent, watching them grow. So I was on, I was on the lookout for a job where I could just cast. And this was 2015. So most things were not that evolved yet. It still was, you know, be on the influencer team, but have like 600 other jobs. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I just want to cast. And then the Hearst position, Kate, it was available. 
I really wanted that job. It was hard to get because everybody knows it's like impossible to get into these companies, the HR black hole. But a friend that I knew from my Nivea trip, she was the style director on that team. And she was booking the fashion influencers. The beauty director was booking the beauty influencers. And that's how they came up with this job because they were like, we're editors. We don't have time to deal with these influencers. So she was like, wait, do you want to do this job? Because they need to hire you. And she got me in for an interview. And I think within like five days, I had the job. So I was the yeah. first person to start the influencer team over at Hearst and just figure out like, what does it mean to be an influencer that's featured in like a publication and, you know, shipping influencers clothing, having them shoot 10 items and then turning that into a listicle on Cosmo and, you know, casting for Red Book and Esquire and Seventeen, you know, and Women's <laughs> Health. Like it just was, I think, you know, the first time I think really anybody had been like in a position to do all these different, you know, both sexes, all different ages across beauty, across fashion, travel, fitness. You just learn so much when you can compare all of those things together, you know, YouTube and Instagram and blogs and Snapchat. We were doing Snapchat and like Musical.ly, which is now TikTok because we had 17. So just having to like be on top of everything, see what people were charging across the board. And it was, you know, exciting and frustrating and <laughs> interesting all at the same time. But I really saw that, like, influencers had no idea what they were doing. That's really what I saw, you know. Uh-huh. You see, like, agencies were popping up. Like, I remember when DBA started, when Socialite started, and seeing all of these people, like, coming into the fold. And so some influencers had guidance. But, like, the average influencer had no idea how much to charge had no sense of like how to do business with a major corporation. They just legal. were winging it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, legal. Don't even get me started on the legal. They had no idea how to read a contract. And so that's when I wrote my book. I was like, listen, somebody's got to help these people. And I'm one of the few people who have been in this industry long enough and at a brand and at an agency and at a publisher to be able to see like, this is how, this is what I've learned is constant across all these things. And so I, I wrote the book, which turned out to be very necessary oh, yeah. <laughs> for the community. Yes. And so it's continuing education and support and resources, which you do, which we will get into. Thank you. So like, obviously you saw so many different verticals and slices of how content could be created, but in terms of collaborations, like where do you think the biggest shift has been in the types of like campaigns that you did back then or back in the way back in the beginning to today? Like, what do you think the biggest change has been? I think the biggest change is that influencers, they've turned into like one person shows, which is very cool because in the beginning, you know, we didn't really have like, first of all, you still had like, you know, these YouTubers had like a sheet in the background of their video and like poor lighting. And if you watch some of your favorite YouTubers, like their first videos, you're like, this is terrible. You know, and everyone shooting content on like their terrible phones and like, even the WordPress themes looked really bad. So I think, you know, it was just like people hacking away at it. But now there's so many tools that influencers can let their personalities shine because the actual, you know, work of creating the content is much easier. So you just see things that are more creative. I think from a video standpoint, even, you know, this current photo trend where it's an influencer doing six different things in one video, like, you just can do cooler stuff. I and mean, we couldn't really do that back then. You know, a lot of it was like, let's do this bag spill <laughs> because that's really, you know, it's really all you could do. And it worked. And 
you know, Instagram didn't have stories. There was no video. It was like, if you liked video, you were a YouTuber. If you liked text, you were a blogger. If you didn't want to do too much work, you had Instagram only. <laughs> that was pretty much, that was pretty much it. But now you have, you know, you have people who are making alter egos. Like Chriselle Lynn has like Rich Mom on TikTok, which is like her alter ego. And it's, it's a comedy profile. Yeah. yeah. Like people really didn't know Chriselle Lynn was funny, <laughs> you know? A lot of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people can just be themselves and be, you know, be funny or be more entertaining while, you know, educating their audiences. And you just, you have more opportunities and there's more money. So it's easier to do things. Cash makes everything easier. Now you brought up the word bloggers a few times. You were one and there are still, what do you think about it? You think it's done? You think it's still valuable? We do work with a lot of bloggers, meaning that they're content creators who have blog channels. What do you, what's your take on that? I think blogging was important before. And I think it's the most important thing now. Like Ooh. there's always some new platform. Now everyone's trying to get on like clubhouse and community. There's always some new platform. There's always some new thing. You know, the blog is the one thing that's constant. That's where you talk to your audience, you know, want you, you can, and you can make money there. Like I know a lot of food bloggers, they don't do branded content at all. And they don't need to because they make a ton of money off of their blog between display advertising through like a media vine and like affiliate links, they're killing it, you know? And I think the people you saw who didn't, you know, flail out in 2020, a lot of them were bloggers because this was a year that branded content was very tough for a lot of people. Brands were furloughing people. There just wasn't money. Whole quarters of campaigns got canceled. But if you had a blog and you just kept doing your affiliate links, which now everybody's shopping online, and you're doing your display ads, maybe your traffic's going through the roof. A lot of those influencers did really, really well. They had their best years yet in the middle of a pandemic. Because everyone's and, at home clicking on articles. How do I yep. cook a stew? That's right. How do I, how do I, I need air fryer recipes. I'm like, oh, these look really good. Okay, now I need to buy an air fryer. Well, here's a link to do that. And now you make ad revenue and commission on the air fryer that you just sold. I'm like those people... Saying. Yeah, those people were able to to pivot, to lean into those other revenue streams. A bunch of people launched products, like my friend Lindsay Soberman launched like a candle company and it sold out in 24 minutes. Like, but these are bloggers who understand, you know, e-commerce, who understand SEO, who these are, you know, this this year, the bloggers, they've always had more than just photo tools. And a lot of people who don't have a blog, they don't know what to do if they can't post a picture and get paid for it. And those opportunities were out the window. And who knows if they'll ever come back the same way. Because I know plenty of influencers who are like, I always did branded content. Coincidentally, in 2020, I really leaned into my blog. It paid off big time. And I get to create whatever I want, whenever I want, and make the same amount of money. So they're not even going to go back. You know, branded content might be like the icing on the cake. But for so many influencers, it's not the whole cake anymore, which is very interesting. Well, I think it's super important. I always say, and because we build it into a lot of our programs, and it's sometimes a challenge, but I always say it helps with SEO. If I'm going to go search for recipes, maybe Pinterest will come up in my searches, but like Instagram and Facebook aren't coming up. Right. So tell us about Carbon August, when you launched it, what is Team Influencer, and why you moved from the brand to the influencer side. So Carbon August is a company I co-founded with my husband, Alexander, and we just do lots of influencer stuff. So anything can fit 
under the umbrella. But like you said, it's it's much more it's we're it, we're influencer education focused. So we actually rebranded and we're now at Carbon August, an influencer education company. One because I've learned over my years in the industry that you can be an expert and you can tell brands what they should do all you want. They they don't listen to you. <laughs> so that's so it's so frustrating to be like you should pick this influencer this is going to be amazing and here's this great idea she has for her content you know a lot of brands still want to be very safe or they don't have money to execute the amazing idea so you end up with like an okay idea and I just I was bored of that and if I'm going to work for myself I'm not going to do something that I don't absolutely love and I love you know getting on the phone with influencers who have an idea and walking through like a plan or figuring out how they could tweak their brand to get on the radar of their dream company or, you know, making courses for people who are like, okay, I need someone to like hold my hand and give me assignments to do every day. So I get this done. And these are all things I've been able to do now and even helping bigger companies educate, you know, the influencers that are on their platform or if they have like a league, you know, working with those influencers and doing like private IG chats and, you know, just helping influencers be better influencers. And it's so rewarding. It's so much fun. And influencers are not going anywhere. <laughs> so it's a great, it's a great way to be a part of the industry and help shape the future by working with all the talent. So I don't think they're going anywhere either. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, where do you think that the influencers need the most help? Like, what are they coming to? Like, is it like, I don't know how to get new business or I don't know how to negotiate? What's the most troublesome area for influencers? I would say it's no matter what size or how much experience they have, it's figuring out how much to charge and looking at the contracts. And I got lucky because I, in between doing literally everything I've ever done, I went to law school for a year. Oh, so, <laughs> right. so I quit that because I did not, did not like it, but that's where I met my husband. So it's great. But you know, contracts don't scare me. And so I'm not afraid to be like, you. I, this this isn't fair. This isn't fair. You shouldn't let the brand have this. If they want this, you need to charge more. You know, I think influencers, you know, a bunch of them hire me to do that, to either get on the phone with them and walk through their contracts or just do their contracts on their behalf because so many of them, they're so happy that like the brand noticed them that they don't want to fight for what they're worth. And it's like, but they noticed you because, you're really good this is not like you know you don't just accept anything they throw at you like oh my god thank you for for noticing me and like offering me this campaign it's like no they're hiring you because you're going to raise awareness and sell products so they're you, you know they're they're hiring you to do a job that you're really good at so you need to charge accordingly and don't let them take advantage of you and I just think you know this is why a lot of influencers love when they get a manager or an agent because then they can just be the nice, sweet influencer that's like so great to work with and so creative. And then your agent or your manager is like the awful person who's always fighting with the brand. But when you don't have representation, you have to be both faces. And I think that's really difficult for people to like hold your ground, be firm, be able to walk away and not be, you know, nervous that that's the last time you'll ever work with that mm -hmm. brand. Mm -hmm. And I think also, it, you know, we hear a lot of it like, but I'm creative. Like, I don't want to have to deal with that side. Of yes. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's not what they want, you know, for a lot of people. So let's talk about periods. How do you, if let's pretend you're working with an influencer, brand comes to you. And I think both sides have this question. 
How do you figure out what an influencer, a brand should pay? Like, what are your, where do you, where do you begin? Yeah. So I like to look at, I, I always break it up. I break it out into like production, distribution, exclusivity, and then usage. And then maybe there are some like bonus things in there. If the influencer is like, you know, a little famous or people buy everything she mentions or something like that. So production is like, how much is it going to cost to even create this content? And I think influencers forget how many hats they wear. You know, a brand could hire an agency and that comes with a hairstylist, a makeup stylist, a photographer, an editor, someone who's going to be a prop stylist, the wardrobe person, like an influencer is all of those things. So, you know, you start, you figure out like hourly, like, okay, I have to go shop. You know, the brand told me to go through 700 pages of their website and pick an outfit. You have to charge for that. That's part of production. You have to, maybe you do your own hair and makeup, or maybe you hire someone to do your hair and makeup. You charge for that. You know, you've got to do the mood board and send to, but you charge for that, right? The caption, you have to charge for all of these things. So I tell people to figure out an hourly that they're comfortable with which is $15 because that's minimum wage in, in a lot of states, all the way up to like $150 if that's what you do for a living or more than that. If you're a professional you know, makeup artist and this is a beauty brand, charge them for that. They could have hired someone who doesn't really know what they're doing, but they didn't. They hired you. So you're, you're coming up with an hourly rate across all these things just to create the content. This has nothing to do with how many followers you have, your engagement rate, your target demo. You know, social agencies and creative agencies and ad agencies, they don't have any of that stuff. They just charge clients to give them a photo, which is what you're doing. So you have your production fee, then you have distribution, which is how much does it cost for this piece of content I've created to take up real estate on my brand? That's when you're looking at follower count, engagement rate, target demo, like are they trying to reach vegan moms who love cruelty-free beauty and you're like the only one who has like this audience, then you can charge more for that, you know? And I like the, I like the, what is it? What is it? A hundred dollars for 10,000 followers. I like that rule, but that's the production rule, which gets added. That's the distribution yeah, number, yeah, which gets, added, which to gets added to, that's not the final number. That's yeah. why when people are like, that's the final number. I'm like, yeah, no. Also like a CPM, <laughs> like, and if you're, it's a hundred dollar thing. If you're very niche, then it's different. right. Then it goes on. right. 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 Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you, if your whole audience are moms of, triplets because you're a mom of triplets you can charge way more than a regular a mom who has one kid or just different kids you know single kids because somebody's gonna buy three of whatever you're promoting (laughs) and so you can charge more for that so you really have to figure out I think you know like what can you offer but where are you relative to your peers who are offering the same thing are you like a travel blogger but for 10 years, you were a flight attendant. That's very different than a travel blogger who just, you know, loves to travel. You speak flight attendant. This is a whole different level of working the airport. It's funny you say that. We just did a campaign recently for a book that was about, and they asked us, can you find us flight attendants? It was all about influencers who were flight attendants. Right. Such a random area, but yeah. Random, but like, these people have flown more hours than most people, you know, because they fly for a living. So you have a different area of expertise. So you want to, you want to think about all of those things and and come up with the number, add that to your production. Then exclusivity, I always tell people, you know, if you can't work with a competitor 
for three months and you probably would have, you will probably have to turn down three jobs. You have to charge for that too and say, you know, I'm not going to do this for you and take money out of my own pocket. So brands have to pay for that. And then you can start to negotiate with how likely is it that, you know, you'll get booked by another brand. But Mm -hmm. I did a campaign that was for foundation exclusivity. I was like, this is a beauty YouTuber. She does foundation every month, one time minimum a month. You have to pay her for this. And if brands want it, why brands should not ask for exclusivity is like a whole nother conversation because I think it's ridiculous. But, you know, more than like a week, like two days in internet time is an eternity. Like you need three months exclusivity. Why? But you figure that out. And then usage, like, are they just going to repost this on their Instagram? Are they going to turn it into a billboard? You know, <laughs> you've got you to gotta pay for these things because I don't think people realize that like usage is like de facto exclusivity because you, if you do a Jurgens campaign, it doesn't matter if your campaign only lasted one month. If they can put your face on a billboard for the next 11 months, you are a Jurgens influencer for one year because yeah. they can use your face. And so, and because you're a Jurgens influencer for one year due to usage, that means Olay will not work with you. So that's money you're going to lose. And so people really well, have to look at Right. Assuming you get Olay, but like you, if you, if that's a brand that like maybe you work with, every year to do like some winter skincare routine. Well, if you can still be under contract with Jurgens and lots of people ask you to disclose that information, there's a good chance that they won't hire you because they don't want their billboard for Olay to be next to your other billboard for, for Jurgens. So these are just things to like keep in mind when coming up with your pricing. It's what are you creating how much does it cost for it to take up space on your channel? And then by doing this deal, what does your future revenue look like? And you are, you know, that's what people should be keeping track of, you know, their branded content deals. Like every month I do, you know, a, a lipstick. Four times a year I do a moisturizer. X-Mat, then you will have a better understanding at, well, Historically speaking, I've never booked a competitor in this window. So the odds that I'll book a competitor this year, not very high. So then you can charge a little bit for exclusivity, but uh-huh. not a whole lot because it's not worth back, that much. Yeah, that you know? goes back to the influence. You have to be a little bit fair too. If you know that no chance you're going to get booked for something, you know, so yeah. I agree exclusivity is a little bit more, but being realistic. Yeah. That's why when it's like sunscreen, it's like, first of all, nobody else is hiring you for sunscreen. You're lucky you even got this one. So you don't, you don't need to be like, if you need sunscreen exclusivity, it's my rate for every month. It's like, but you won't have to turn down a sunscreen campaign every month. So you're projecting lost revenue and you have to be honest about that because there's no sense in like lying. If you're not there yet and you can't charge that, then you're not there yet and you can't charge that, you know? perfectly okay that like you only do 10 branded campaigns a year and some other people do a hundred well their exclusivity is worth more than yours because they turn down more work than you do that's how you have to think about it I think people have to be fair they have to look at their own books and that's why this whole like comparing yourself to another influencer is ridiculous because you have no idea how many deals they get offered how many deals they turn down you just know, well, we have similar follower count and content and engagement rate, so we must be worth the same. Like, no, not even close. Like that's that's the those things I think are at the bottom when you consider everything else. Very helpful. So helpful for everyone. So I just I guess I want to ask a question that's a little bit hard and tricky. And this happens, I think, to a lot of people uh, on the marketing side. 
how do you handle situations when you, you know, you contract with an influencer, you might have sent them product, they agreed to the terms, everything's great, and then they go MIA, and maybe they're late, and they're not responding, or they completely just don't even respond. What do you do? I mean, those things are hard. I mean, that's the story of my life at Hearst, even with, you know, influencers who have agents, you're like, hi, you're the agent, where's this piece of content? And they're like, well, you know, she's taking a little longer. I'm like, I don't care. It was due like two days ago. So one, give yourself lots of buffer. There are certain influencers who make amazing content, you know, have great communities, but I know they are notoriously late. And so if the client wants them and I have to hire them, they get a due date that's like, this is due in four days when it's actually due in two weeks, because I know it will take them two weeks to get it to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to have to be stressed, stressed <laughs> about, about that, you know? And so, and also I think so much of it, the way influencer business is done in general is a little rough because it's like, for the most part, influencers have to complete an entire campaign to get paid, which is not fair. And is ridiculous in 2020 with how fast you can pay people. So I always love campaigns where it's like, listen, you get 50% of your money when you create the content. If you create it tomorrow, you get 50% of your money tomorrow. If it takes you until the last day it's due, well, then that's when it is. And then you get the other 50 when you post. When you have those numbers, you'd be surprised how fast you get content because people want their money. If they know they're not going to get paid to the whole thing's over and this is a you know four-week campaign and the payment terms are net 60, that's already like, oh, I'm getting this money in like five months. Like, who cares? <laughs> you know, they, they take it a lot less seriously, which should not be the case. But you can't run a business on what should be the case. You run a business on what is the case. So I think, you know, just if you have the power, and I know lots of times people do not, but if you have the power to structure your payments where they are, influencers are incentivized to do things quickly then I would definitely do that. Or, you know, you can change things up where like, if you can get this to us by this date, your payment terms will be net 15 instead of net 30. You know, yeah. you try to get, you try to get creative to get people to move because influencers for them, that's a job like anything else and they need incentives. Yeah. It's just so hard when it's, yeah, there's 20, 30, 40 influencers on a campaign. So starting to be yeah. one person, another person, it's like an accounting nightmare for some companies. Oh yeah. And then have you ever been in a situation like someone just like, they just go MIA. Like you, you know, I had some one woman tell me yesterday, they literally, the woman accepted a dishwasher and like a whole kitchen, all the appliances, and they had to go to her house and take it out of her house. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, you know, it's, that's so much of like doing, doing a lot of background on influencers. It's tough. I mean, you should, people brand should always chalk it up to like, what is fall up? You know, when you create an event that sells tickets, even if people buy tickets, you assume 10% of people are not going to show up. You know, you just do. So it doesn't matter that that person bought a ticket, they still might not come. And I think you have to do the same thing with influencer campaigns. If you can, which is overbook. Like if you need to produce yeah, 10 pieces of do. content, put 12 people on it or just, that's right. Yeah. Because the odds that one person's Flakes. and it could be for, <laughs> it could be for a totally a really good reason. You know, it could be that the week they're supposed to shoot the content, there's like a hurricane where they live or they don't have internet or they get sick or, you know, there's, even if influencers are doing things to the best of their ability, things go wrong. So you should never only have the minimum number of people necessary to like complete your campaign. You should always, 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 always overbook. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. I just wanted to get the other perspective for <laughs> our team and other teams out there who 
often face, you know, the unfortunate situations. And and yeah, it's true. Like, especially this year with COVID, there's been a right. lot of, you know, oh, I'm going to be late or this happened. So it's unfortunate. And we obviously all, all have to be understanding when there are circumstances. So I know that you and I talked earlier this year about diversity in the influencer marketing industry. And, you know, obviously everyone back in April, March, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. Is that still happening? And what policies and protocols do we make sure it continues, that it's not being forgotten? Yeah, you know, I think for some brands, they did some performative work. Other companies, you know, really tried to figure out how can we change this. But I think at the end of the day, it's less about wanting to do X, Y, and Z or thinking about diversity and more about hiring influencer casting people who don't suck. And that's what I think. Because when I look at like casting a campaign, I would look and be like, okay, we're going to have four people in this campaign. I know in a perfect world, I would have one black influencer, one white influencer, one Asian influencer, and one Hispanic influencer in a perfect world. And then maybe we could get a plus size. One of them could plus be size. plus size. One of them could be LGBTQ. Yeah, you can, maybe we can add on these other things too, because lots of times those things are harder to see just based on, you know, what limited information you're, you're working with. Maybe you don't know, but that's in a perfect world. It's very hard when, you know, you're an influencer and you get a casting opportunity and you need to turn it on in 24 hours to do that level of insight if you are not constantly preparing for it. And so I think that's what influencer teams need to do. Like if you're casting, your job is to know who influencers are. You, that's literally the whole purpose of your job. So if someone tells you name 10 skincare influencers, there are enough that one of them should be white. One of them should be black. One of them should be Asian. You should know because you should know all of the people. And at Hearst, you know, it's something I really had to take seriously because I had to be able to name, you know, 10 YouTubers who can talk about prom and like 10 moms who can talk about anti-aging for Redbook, you know, that's a big, that's a big range, but you have to be able to do it. And most companies like your brand has a specific type of person who's on brand for them. You don't even need to know every age group, both sexes. You just, you just need to know the limited window of people who fit your brand profile. So then just do the work. And in your free time, follow more people. You can't, you know, most people follow people who look just like them. And a lot of these influencer companies are full of like, you know, younger millennial and like Gen Z who are doing that very like make a list work. Once you get to negotiation and stuff, you end up with some older millennials. But like the bare minimum of pull me a list is, you know, someone who's probably really young. And the first list they're going to give you are all the influencers they follow, because then I get to do a campaign with my favorite influencer, you know, <laughs> that's their, that's their incentive. And so the incentive can't just be that it has to be, I need a well-rounded diverse, I need the best list you can possibly put together, which means as a brand, you need to give them time where they have a, at least one day a week where they can just sit and watch a bunch of YouTube videos and find new people. Yep. read a bunch of, you know, blog articles and find new influencers. Like they can't so constantly, yeah, you can't constantly be managing campaigns to the point where you can't look for new talent. Assuming brands are not being racist, there's some other issue. This is what I think that issue is. You just name the people who come to the top of your, you know, you, the, the first few people you think of, 
And those are usually the people you follow. And those are usually the people who look like you. And then that's why we end up in this rut. Because it's not just a diversity rut. It's also the same girls get booked all the time, you know, because it's like, I need this immediately. And it's like, okay, here are, you know, even in the black community, everyone's like, can we have Hannah Bronfman, Saida Silva, you know, it's it's the same. And but it's also get, familiarity. You know, you work with these people, so oh, she does right. the time. She's always right. the content's great. She's going to be on time. Right. She's, you know, she's within yeah. the budget. Go, boom. So yeah, you pick these people because their content is great. You've booked them before. You already know they're going to deliver. And lots of times you have to do those things because you don't have room for error. You don't have enough time have to time, make a list. Time. You don't have. So I think so much of like the industry wanting to go forward is people have to get their shit together a little earlier. You know, you've got to give people time to do research. So I don't just send you the same list that I sent you the last time because that's all I had time to put together. And I would push people. You know, I worked with like a mega retailer. And they wanted diversity. I was like, then you cannot have this list today. If you want me to find the best in every category that fits this, you can have it at the end of the week. So what do you want? Diversity or speed? And they chose diversity and they got a better list because they gave me time to work on it. So it has to be a priority, you know? And do you work with male influencers? I did for like Esquire and like car and driver and road and track and, and like food, like delish, you know, a lot of, we need more men. There needs to be, I mean, it's just, you're constantly searching like, Oh, he doesn't have enough followers. Yeah. You see them, but they tend to do other things. You know, they tend to be, women tend to be more lifestyle. Men tend to be niche topic specific, right? You want whiskey influencers. Here's a whole list. Yeah. Me too. You want cigar influencer. You want, you know, vintage watch. You want tailor, you know, you want bespoke suits. You want, yep. you know, athletic apparel, sneakers, like it just tends to be different. If you're like lifestyle, very few guys are like, here's my life. Here's me making <laughs> my movie in the morning. Yeah. You know, it's they don't very hard. And yeah. They don't more, broadcast like that. <laughs> we're seeing more brands things. you have just general male lifestyle influencers who aren't that. And it's very hard. Yeah, because they don't they don't necessarily do that. If they're going to make an Instagram and build a community, it's around a shared interest. Yeah. It's not because you think I'm cute and you like my style. Like, that's why women follow influencers. Like, oh my God, she's so pretty. I'm going to follow her. You know, like, that's literally why you follow someone. Men are like, let me look at this watch collection. Oh, wow, that's a serious. He's got a Patek. Okay, I'm going to follow him. Like, they're, they're digging deep on, like, how good are you at this thing you're educating me on? Where influence, female influencers are much more oh my God, you're so pretty. I like your life. I like your house. Oh, you go to all these amazing places. For a lot of female influencers, it's more about inspiration and aspiration than it is about education, which on the male side, it's education first, which also happens to go with, you know, I only know a lot about vintage watches because I own a lot of vintage watches. And so you want to learn about these things, but you also love that they own them. So it goes hand in hand where you know, plenty of female influencers, they don't talk about not a single thing. It's just like a pretty picture of them. And the caption is like, I love spring. And you're just like, there's nothing going on here. But she got a million followers, you know? <laughs> so but then you look at like, I it's mean, different. Some of the food influence. I don't follow many of the fashion beauty, but the food ones, I mean, the craft ones, I mean, yeah, it's like amazing talent, like just amazing. Yeah. But a lot of those things also tend to be they tend to be female because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's everything is, if you couldn't get paid to do this, would you still be doing it? And like, would most men still be looking at cool cars? Yes. Collecting sneakers? Yes. Would they be like 
doing crafts, some of them, not most of them, you know, lots of people will do anything if they're going to get paid for it. But it's like, what were you doing naturally? So, so many of these lifestyle spaces just lend themselves to women because that's what they're doing. That's the content they're consuming. You know, just look at like actual magazine titles. How many men's magazines are there versus women's magazines? Now go into specialties. How many car magazines are there? There are so many car magazines. It's ridiculous. Right. Like you yeah. don't need this many. Why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had two, we had two at Hearst alone. Just like why? Who, what? Because there's different types of car ownership. You know, these people are racers. These people are mechanics. It's like different. So, you know, once again, when you look at male versus female, the female population tends to be, I want your life. And the male population tends to be, I want the specific skill set or thing that you have. Yeah. So it's just a different approach. Amazing. So do you work with any of the SaaS platforms? Which are the best that, you know, what are your thoughts on all the influencer marketing platforms out there for discovery, for management, et cetera? Yeah. So obviously full disclosure, like I work with four. So I'm the head of community management. So four is a great platform, but I used four when I worked at Horizon. So back when you could wow. still search people's tweets, I knew James back then. So you know, they're still in the game and have come a long way, you know, but I think for the most part, in terms of searching for influencers, nothing is, is more effective than just sitting on your phone and going down the hole, just watching, you know, I would be at Hearst and I would be like on Monday, like today, I'm just gonna watch YouTube videos all day. Nobody asked me anything. And I'd watch like 600 <laughs> you know, oh my YouTube videos just to be like, okay, this person her voice is like this. This person is much more serious. This person has a better set. This person has better, you know, edits. This person only does voiceovers. This person talks while she's applying the makeup. Like you've got to learn all these things. You know, you can, you can type in YouTubers with this following. You can type in search filters all you want, but that's not going to tell you what the channel feels like. And that's what you're paying for. So that's the best way to just do it is just to like follow a ton of people ask influencers you've worked. I, this is my goal. Like, who do you like, who are you following? Cause influencers follow a ton of influencers and really just trying to figure out like the world in terms of management, that's very different. Cause you got to keep track of like, where's the content, who signed a contract, pull the impressions and <laughs> yeah, the reporting. engagement rate. Oh my God, the reporting. So four is really good. I had tagger while I was at Hearst. I really liked that. And then, you know, the people's champ was people map, which was great. And it was $20 a month. Everybody used it. We loved it. And then it folded in October because, you know, again, with these things, it's all about having access to like Instagram backend to be able to pull this sort of data data. and, you know, only the people who are spending a ton of money and having meetings with Facebook can keep up with that. So You know, I think we are still in a place where a lot of it is enterprise or a bust um, or enterprise or Excel spreadsheet and tiers. But I think we might get to a place where maybe that's not so much the case. Also, things are changing too. So much of it now is all these influencers have been pushing like e-commerce, like the new metric is going to be, did you sell something? Mm-hmm. And that's affiliate, which is why like reward style is, is killing it because that's what they do. It's like, yeah, likes and impressions are great. But even if like nobody saw this post, but the five people who saw it spent $10,000, this was a successful campaign, (laughs) you know? So it'll depend on your metrics. It's very interesting, but thank you. 
What's new for Carbon August in 2021? So in 2021, we will actually launch Carbon August University, which is like a place where you can go and just learn a lot of things. If you're like, okay, I want to like do a newsletter this year. It'll have reviews on Flowdesk and ConvertKit and MailChimp and this, that, and show you how to use everything. And here's the differences in prices. Because I think now that people have finally realized influencer marketing is big business and so many people are founders and everyone's a media company at this point, now your options are just endless. It's like, oh, I, I need a lead generation platform. Which one? It's like, well, there are like 50. Which one do you want? And so now there's just too much information where before it was like, if you want to do a newsletter, like you have to use MailChimp, you don't have options. Now you have a ton of options. It's like, well, do you want them to be able to text in? Are you looking for something that has a lot of visual space? Do you want, you know, so now it's just like, who has time to research all these things? Nobody. So that is part of what we will be doing. It's like, you want to do a text in coaching service. Okay. Here are your best texting options. So just giving people like, here are lots of things to read. So you can learn about how to be a really good influencer. So that will be fun. I will learn a lot doing it just because I have to learn all these things so I can teach Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. My last question before we part ways for the day is name an influencer you love to follow, but hate to admit that you do. I, I love uh, Jake and Logan Paul. (laughs) People hate them, but I don't, I don't care. I know, you know, it's like, are they the worst? Sure. But like they're like boxing now. Do you see this? Like they're box. He, which what did Logan Paul? He's gonna box Floyd Mayweather. Like what? Talk about the come up. I remember booking him, booking him for like beef jerky like a hundred years ago, where he oh had like a hundred thousand followers, and we were like, this is amazing. Do this beef jerky, you know, make this beef jerky video. And now he's like gonna get paid millions of dollars to fight like the top, you know, boxer in the world, oh like. Their personal antics aside, because there is a laundry list of like why these should not be your children's role models, <laughs> you know, right, right. long, long list. But if you look, even like when they came out with like the Team 10 house, like they're the first people to make an influencer house where you came in because you had, you know, 3,000 followers, they liked you, or you weren't even on YouTube. And they were like, you'd be a cool YouTuber, you should come into the house. And in 24 hours, you had a million followers. <laughs> now, this is because, you know, 10 people with a million followers telling all their followers to follow you, you're going to skyrocket. And yeah. so now everyone has a TikTok collab house. So this Fenty, you know, Rihanna was making a TikTok house. Everyone's, it's like they were the first people to do that. And so is, as much of a mess that they are, you have to give influencer credit where credit is due. And they have pioneered a lot of different things, you know, that people are reaping the benefits and don't even know it was them. So they are a mess. They are brothers who are a mess, but they're one of those people who cross over, you know, like they're boxers now. What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's awesome. It's crazy. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. Everyone look out for Carbon August. Brittany Hennessy is such a pleasure to have you here. And I wish you a wonderful holiday season and a great 2021. Thank you so much, Shelly. This is amazing as usual. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.